Hi, everyone. Welcome to Let's Talk About Skills, baby. I'm your host, Kelly Bailey. I'm joined here by our guest, Tony. And Tony, I just realized that I'm going to completely, I want to say Sai, but am I butchering your last name? I'm sorry. Oh, no, that's good. Yeah, Sai. Exactly. Oh, perfect. I'm glad I got it right. I know it's been a little while since we chatted last and I, you know, going by what I thought. But um, let me give a little intro to Tony so that everyone knows um, his background. So Tony is a teacher who works to bring greater meaning and purpose into higher education. Um, he is currently working at the University of Utah's School of Medicine as the Director of Leadership and Development. His background in leadership and development began while serving as an officer in the U.S. Army. And he also has extensive experience in career development, which started when he ran and when we met at the Career Center at the School of Business at the University of Michigan. If you guys want to follow Tony, by the way, um, he is available on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook at AntoniusSci.com. And just so for a spelling, that is A-N-T-O-N-I-U-S-T-S-A-I. So, Tony, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope I did that justice. <laughs> great. Thank you so much. It, it's great to be here. And, of course, when I say here, I mean in my, in my bedroom, but uh, it's COVID times, right? Of course. So. <laughs> where, where are you joining us from anyway, Tony? <laughs> uh, no, we, yeah, we have a, I have a, a nice um, home office now. And so a lot of us have like these alternative workplaces that we've, we've staked out. And so I was yeah. able to uh, create one for myself here. So, yeah. That's really nice. Well, I like the background there too. <laughs> um, so I wanted to start off a little bit, maybe more on the personal level. And if you could just give us a little bit of a story on your personal journey, would love to hear that. Yeah. Um, I've had a pretty unconventional career where um, I had to quote unquote reinvent myself quite often. And so this, this idea of skills is actually very, very important. I was, uh, I started off um, in the military and then when you get out of the military, I mean, I was a platoon leader and uh, so I knew how to do, t I knew how to do tanks, but of course out <laughs> yeah. in the real world tanks, the, the tank skill is not uh, in high demand. And so, <laughs> and so then you had to transfer Sorry, my microphone fell off. Okay. But no worries. For, um, so it was, what is a transferable skill? And it was about leadership development. And so mm -hmm. went to business school, uh, learned finance, and then as well as organizational development. Uh, worked for a little bit in corporate finance. Decided that uh, actually quite liked um, teaching more. And so I, I eventually left my corporate finance job and went into work in higher ed, first at university. Mm -hmm now the University of Utah. That's great. Thanks for sharing that with us. So, you know, in talking a little bit about skills, we're just keeping it here on a personal level for a minute. If you could put, uh, like, which skills are the skills that you think made you successful? Could you answer that? Yeah, I think they always call it like these soft skills. But now yeah. I think a lot of people are no longer really content to call them soft skills anymore. They, they're starting to call them essential skills. Um, right. And so I think everybody, um, there's going to be essentially two sets of skills. Uh, there's mm -hmm. going to be technical skills. And so you are going to need to learn some technical skills. And except I think what we're seeing is now that the technical skills must be refreshed every once in a while. 
but you still need mm-hmm. a certain set of technical skills. And then right. th- there's another set of skills that's, that's more with um, managing yourself and managing your relationships. And those mm-hmm. type of skills allow you to be more adaptive because uh, once you talk to more, pe- more and more people, you get to see, oh, this is how the world is changing. This is what people need. Yeah. And, uh, and as, you, as you sort of see that, you can kind of say, okay, well, what is, some, what is, a, what is the um, overlap between what other people seem to need and mm-hmm. what I'd be happy to provide? And then that allows you to essentially um, orient yourself towards a, developing more technical skills that you need. Um, of course, now at this point, I'm, I'm in administration and teaching. And so, sure. and I, there is still some technical skills. Like I still have uh-huh. to figure out how to do Zoom, for example. But, uh, <laughs> Was but, that uh, a new skill you needed to it learn? It is. I mean, I'm, I'm much better at it. I still have a lot, of good, lot, of, lot to learn about it. But sure. that's something that's like, oh, I have to, originally I did a lot of speaking in person. And so mm-hmm. I was like, oh, well, that was a skill that I did. But now yeah. it's like, okay, I have to change. So now I have to figure yeah. out how to teach online. Um, and teach. So it's just about things. pivoting. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's all about like, okay, I ha- there's some people and I have to figure out how to provide value to them. And then that kind of guides mm-hmm. me in terms of the skills I need. Yeah. And you, like, I just was thinking of this because I'm looking at you with the microphone and you had just mentioned to me before we started that you're like, well, I got this microphone because I'm, you know, teaching people online and recording these courses. I want to make sure that they can hear me. So I, I agree. There's so many new skills, especially during this time that we're picking up. But I like the idea that there's sort of that foundation core skills. And then there are other ones that you're constantly renewing yourself on. I know, you know, in terms of like jobs always changing, obviously, that's going to be very important. So for you, did you feel like your skills came from formal education? Did you feel like these were things you were learning on your own, like a mix? What do you think is kind of the best way in terms of picking up skills? Yeah, I think I think um, working in higher ed, I think higher ed is going to be under a lot of pressure in the future. And part of it is because, I mean, I, I don't mean to, I don't mean to be too hard on higher ed because there's a lot of well-meaning people. But the question is like, mm-hmm. what does higher ed prepare you to do exactly? You know, mm-hmm. what, if you take a certain, if you take a look at a lot of the classes that are offered, what does that actually pro- provide you to do? you know, allow you to do? Does it teach you really mm-hmm. core hard skills? Or does it, and a lot of times it doesn't. And so what happens is I, I believe in, I still believe like, yes, you know, between going to school and not going to school, yes, go to school. But I, I do mm-hmm. also feel that it is no longer the responsibility. Like you can't just say, well, the university is going to teach me everything I need to know. I just need to get a degree and then boom, I get a job. It's like, that's not, that's not the case as much anymore. And so even uh-huh. as you're going through school, you'll have to think about, you are, I would just say you're still responsible for your skill set and don't yeah. expect that really somebody else is going to spoon feed skills to you, that there are certain things that you're going to want to learn. And it, the further along you get in your education, what's nice about it is that you can choose the things that you want because it's no longer like you're in third grade and they, they make you do stuff. You're, you know, sure. once you're like your mid twenties, you kind of, get to choose um, the type of skills that you want to develop. So that's to me pretty exciting. So having the person really like take the reins, um, make their own choices and figure out what they want to build over time. That makes sense. Yeah. So we, 
I, the reason that I really wanted to have you on the podcast is because of this article that you wrote that I read um, and shared on LinkedIn, which I absolutely loved. It's called The Most Important Career Advice. And you discussed something that you called the MD plus. And I really loved this concept and I'll give like a little brief, but then I'd love for you to dive in a little further on it, which is essentially that if I go to medical school and I get a standard medical degree, I'm just like every other person that has a medical degree. And what is my plus? And the reason I love that so much, and I think I mentioned this to you in kind of the back and forth um, comments that we were sharing was that I have a sister um, who is currently a freshman at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and she wants to be an anesthesiologist. But of course, everything that happened and internships and all the things that are going on this summer, she is struggling at what to do. And so when I read that article, I shared it with her and she was just like, man, I sent her an opportunity that was totally out of the field of medicine and what she had planned on doing this summer. And I was like, you know what, though? this might be a really good idea. So tell us a little bit more about MD plus and what you mean about the plus. <laughs> yeah. Um, I get, and so I, I, I get to talk a lot of students. It's, it's, a, it's a really great privilege. And I get to be inspired by a lot of um, students uh, who do very unique things with their career. And, you know, in the article, one of the people I mentioned was a person who, um, was studied architecture before he became a surgeon. And, um, and he, when I was, you know, with him in the training, he was, he came up to me and says, you know what? I, I kind of really like architecture. Uh, what should I do? Because everybody else is telling me to just give that up because you're in a surgeon yeah. now. And, um, and I said, well, if you gave that up, you would, you're, you're kind of giving up a certain unique part of you um, that, I believe that if you stick with it, obviously you still have to go through training and you have to get through done or, you know, do it properly and so forth. Mm-hmm. But if you keep that part of you, which is uh, very interested in design and architecture, um, you will find that later on there will be an opportunity for you to merge the two of them. And then mm-hmm. as you merge the two things, um, it will make you different from other people. Um, and then, Therefore, then you're just not just another surgeon. You're kind of the surgeon that knows how to design buildings. Um, and so in his case, he um, ended up, he's still in residency, but he was, uh-huh. he, he's a chief uh, medical officer for a major architecture firm. Wow. So, I know, I know. And it's like, <laughs> this is an opportunity. And so it's one of those things, but you know, it's not, not an easy path because no. one, you do have to do a little bit more work. Uh-huh. Um, and other people are going to discourage you in the beginning. And so mm-hmm. there's a little bit of the, and, and so I, what I wanted to make a distinguishing factor is like, I didn't tell him to quit his job as a, as a surgeon. I was like, I'm not saying quit right. your job. And what happens is like, if you can figure out a way to combine two different fields, things that are, you're really interested in, you'll find that there's an, there's going to be interesting opportunities for you. Yeah. Now, would you say that if someone was going to approach kind of adding to their, whatever it is, right, they're figuring out what their plus is, do you think that always has to be like a formal schooling or do you think that can be, they can figure that out in other ways? Yeah. I mean, I have another colleague and she really likes um, kind of theology and she's awesome. Mm -hmm. 
And, uh, and so I said, well, you know, she does not train in theology or anything like that, but, um, but she is able to have a certain type of conversation with patients that I would say the average doctor doesn't because they're medical training is, is fairly secular. And so, but a lot of the patients are not necessarily secular. And so Mm -hmm. um, in a way she's able to bring that, that extra part to patient care because she's really interested in the, in the aspect of being able to talk to patients about their beliefs. Um, And so that's another part where, you know, if you, once you kind of integrate that part, I think you you kind of make that profession yours. Um, It's kind of practice it in your, in your own way. Um, And I think that that makes it fulfilling. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine too, like in your practice, if you are a doctor with sort of this like specialty or this way that you care for your patients or communicate with your patients, that helps you stand out too. Like you will attract a certain type of clientele that really wants to work with you because they really appreciate that addition that you're bringing to what you're offering. Yeah, I know. I I talked to a lot of people like right now because I'm in a medical school I talked to a lot of doctors but I've in the past I've also worked with business schools but right now in, in talking to some of the doctors and I asked them like what do you want to do I was like I want to be a good doctor and I said well I was I want to tell them like that's not really quite definitive enough because <laughs> it doesn't what does that mean exactly and right. so I sort of say like you know if you were to write a memoir about your career like and what was it that you brought, you know, to the profession? And what is it, what is it from you that you brought uniquely that was like you? Um, what would that be, you know? And so I do think that, you know, right now, of course, like the counter to things like people may think, I just want a job. The thing is, it's like, yeah. actually, yeah, I know you do want a job, but you actually make yourself much more hireable once you take the time to kind of go in both avenues you you are doing you're developing your technical skills and, and sort of that foundational but you're also developing your own kind of niche skill and then uh-huh. once you develop the two of them that does actually make you much more um employable completely well i feel like that concept right there that you're talking about and just the way you most likely talk to a lot of your students i know you shared with me um let's see what you call like, oh, you created that career journey diagram a couple of years ago. And I kind of wanted to delve into that a bit more because I loved not only the way that you approached that, but also I'm just like so interested in how you might have conversations with students around this. Because of course, as I said earlier, um, just because we say the word student doesn't mean that like everyone is a student, right? We're all like lifelong learners in this particular sense. Like we're always adding a plus um, every time we read a book or every time we learn how to do something new like Zoom or create that course online or for me, a podcast, right? <laughs> so when you think of that diagram, like, like kind of help us visualize this diagram. And, you know, so I'd love to hear a little bit about some of these conversations you might have with students around this particular approach that I think is really fascinating. Yeah. So I've been, I've been talking to a lot of people almost just even from people who are applying to college to all the way to people who are nearing retirement. And so I talked to the whole gamut of people. And mm-hmm. then over, if you talk to enough of them, you get a sense of like what the stages are. Um, yeah. And so I kind of broke it down into four stages. Um, and, and because I'm in Utah, it, I used the mountain, like climbing a mountain mm-hmm. um, where, 
at the bottom, there's more people, but as you go up and up, you, it's become more, uh, more lonely to some degree because it's such a hard journey. Right. Right. Um, and, um, and so the first, there's these four stages. And the, f- the first stage is about the ability to manage yourself. And, um, and I, I do tell people that, look, people have aspirations for leadership and da, 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 And I say, you know what, that's fine. But you first have to be able to set your alarm clock and wake up and go to work. And, yep. and you actually have to exceed, you actually have to exceed the expectations of your current role in order to move on. Like you can't actually manage people or have great responsibility if you can't manage yourself. And so yeah. like the first thing is kind of very fundamental, which is like you actually have to be, have some discipline. Again, you have to have mm-hmm. skills. And so in a way you have to practice something um, well. Like, and so yeah. before you practice something well, don't think about other things. Figure out something mm-hmm. that you're going to practice well. Um, and then over time, as you practice things well, you're going to find that um, um, you're going to find that you can help other people. And then you're, you, so the second stage is about developing relationships. And um, uh-huh. because at a certain skill level, you're going to be able to be a master and be a teacher. And, um, and so you're going to have, your, have greater influence only because you exceeded, you're, you went beyond managing yourself. And so then uh-huh. what happens is you begin to do the work of managing others. Um, then there's this third stage, which is um, about managing change, which is that later on at a certain stage, you're going to practice it to such a degree that you will actually influence the industry itself, that you will actually oh. like, you're not just like taking somebody else's rules and applying them and you know, giving directions to people, but you will actually be a thought leader within this. Of course, not, that's not common because of the fact that right. it's all about how much, how much learning are you willing to do, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like- the To move more, up to that part, like we're almost at the peak now, right? <laughs> yeah. And so like the more learning you're willing to do, the more sort of that, and it, it, it's, a, it's a lifetime of uh, advancing. And then the fourth yeah. one is about this, um, they call it this mountain with no top in, in that diagram. It's because you're, in mm-hmm. a way, you're kind of finding the ways that you are truly unique. And I, I, I don't yeah. say that in a way of like, everybody's a winner type of, a, you know, everybody gets a, a participation prize, right. but like you do have that, you do have a unique skill if you take the time to develop it. It takes a whole lifetime to actually get to that point. Right. But the further, the more skills and the more learning you do, the more you begin to um, yeah. actualize yourself. And so that's sort True. of- True. And I feel like it's that concept of like, if you're not growing, right? you're like stagnant. So that's why that mountain has no top because you, you can keep going if you want to. Yeah. It's like, it's never ending. It's like, hopefully, yeah. hopefully you're learning throughout your life. Right. Now, when you talk to your students, like my assumption is always that, you know, when someone in a university is talking to students, they're referring to learning, you know, in a more formal way. But when you talk to them about this, do you mean like a combination of formal and informal? And when I say informal, I kind of mean like it could be through any means, right? Like a work, you know, at your work, you're learning these things, right? Or it could mean you're just trying to figure out something new on your own. That informal means a whole slew of other ways besides actually just like being at a school. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll give you an example. 
some years ago, about eight, nine years ago, I was talking to a, a med student and he was saying like, you know, I'm just kind of curious about how I should spend my time in med school. And so I, I asked him like, what are you really interested in? He said, I'm interested in technology um, applied to medicine, specifically telemedicine. And of course, telemedicine is, is much more ubiquitous now, especially with, with what's yeah. going on now. But eight or nine years ago, it was, it was like a niche. Very few people yeah. knew much about it. Um, and I said, I said, well, think of it this way. If you went into the library and just like read as, as much as you possibly could about telemedicine, in those two hours, you, at once, you, once you finish reading in those two hours, you'll know more about telemedicine than 50% of the faculty here. Wow. Once you, because it's like, it's not, it's a niche thing. And, and so if you spend right. two hours a week for a month, let's say if you did eight or 10 hours of solid research on it, teaching yourself, you'll know more about telemedicine than 90% of the faculty here. And if you, if you do um, four years worth, let's say oh, your whole time in med school, every week you took some time and taught yourself a few things about it and spend disciplined time. By the end of medical school, you'll be one of the experts in telemedicine, wow. you know, and you just have graduated med school. And right. you think about like now, it's like telemedicine then was like, well, that was a thing. But now, you know, it's coming, you know, it's here. Right. And it's oh, kind yeah. of like, you kind of want to think through like, was, what is the future thing that I can begin to invest some time now? Um, yeah. This is, this separates it from the normal, the normal training you get, because like in med school, they'll train you um, with a certain set of things, but I say that's what everybody sure. gets. So that's, Right. You need to know it, but you, you don't want to overinvest in generic things. Like you're going to want to take 10, I would say 10 to 20% of that time and invest in a niche thing that you are interested in. And then those two things together create the, the opportunity. Yeah, that's really, that's really great. I love that you're giving the students these, I mean, because it's just, it, it seems like it's outside of the box probably to so many educators to talk about lifelong learning in this way, but I just love it because I think it opens so many doors to people to realize that like, you know, I'm a mother of three. I'm like, if I, I wish that I could go and sit back down at school, but that's just not going to happen. And the fact is that there are so many other ways to learn. It's just, we don't necessarily think that, you know, that's like a learning opportunity, right? Like that this, this thing that I'm trying to figure out or, me going and doing research or reading like, Oh, I don't know, but it really truly is. Yeah. You could, it's like, you could read a book. You could, there's so many resources out there. It's like all there are is resources right now. And right. Uh, yeah. One, one example I just want to give you is, um, I don't know, some, some years ago I was listening to NPR and they were saying, um, you know, most of us drive every day. But does but does all this practice of driving make us better drivers? And it's like no, right. actually, right? It's bad. And and um, and the question is like because learning needs to be deliberate. You can't commute, and you think you're you just because you're doing something for a certain amount of time doesn't mean you can yeah you can be. And uh, one example I, I tend to give in some of the workshops is I, I ask people like okay, in ten years from now. You're going to be you're going to be like a driver for the CIA. You're going to have to be <laughs> awesome, like an expert driver. What are you going to do? You can only invest like two or three hours a week over 10 years. But what are you going to yeah. do? And everybody come up with these ideas. And it's like, 
yeah, see, that'll work. Like if you did this thing for two or three hours a week, like you will in 10 years, you will be, you'll be an outstanding, you'll be like top level driver. And so it doesn't require you to quit your job. It just requires mm-hmm. a little bit of uh, deliberate um, time set aside to learn. So when you say deliberate time set aside, like I'm thinking, of course, like, yes, of course, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to focus on this thing. But is there something else that you think helps make that time more deliberate? Like I find if I take notes and I write, like if there's something about me reading something, but then also taking notes that like solidifies it. And to me, it's like, I can't just do it once. Um, I need to continue to practice that, like you said. So are there other ways where you could take that time and focus on something, but make it even more meaningful? Yeah, I think there's like three main modes um, of learning. Um, and so one, of the, so one of the modes is like you reading and you thinking and you kind of like are kind of, it's a little bit individual. Um, mm-hmm. There's another mode where you could go and kind of talk to, uh, train with somebody who's more of an expert. So somebody who can teach you or mentor you. And so if you're trying to learn something, yeah. I recommend that you reach out to people who are already good practitioners. They can, they can cut that learning time a bit. And then the, the, I third, like that. the third part is you need to practice. And so it's like, mm-hmm. you can't, let's say if you want to be a really great driver, you can't get there by reading. You can't just read. And so, but you do, right. but reading is useful. And so, but you got mm-hmm. to go out there and start practicing. Um, and so, yeah. Practice. The doing. <laughs> yeah. So those three things, um, you're going to, you're going to want to kind of like mix those three things into, um, into kind of, and, and if you, if you kind of have a good balance of those three things and, and you do it deliberately, just, and I'm not saying deliberately means 40% this, it, it just means like, sure. you're, you, you, you yeah, the focus it. is there. Yeah. You're really yeah, like, okay, will, this is it. Yeah. You will start learning. Yeah. That's so nice. So I know you've shared with us a couple of stories about um, some of the students you've chatted with. Is there anything that you think would be like a great takeaway for a person that might be considering, you know, how else do I kind of like beef up myself over my life um, beyond obviously the deliberate learning, but like, is there any focus areas that you today you'd be like, Oh, you should be thinking about this. Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of interesting. It's uh I don't know. Let's just kind of like brainstorm a little bit because it's, it, this is yeah. kind of an interesting time um, because a lot, I, I, I'll just get a little bit kind of delve into this idea of skills and value. And I think about um, almost rather than from a me perspective, it's almost like what is, what, why skills? And, and, mm-hmm. and I, I sort of view skills as you need skills in order to provide value to society. And, and so it's like, and in a way, your skills is the way that you choose to provide value to society. Um, mm-hmm. So don't think about it as a job. Think about it as like, what is it that you're going to contribute? You know? And, and so then, so but if you look at it that way, there's actually, it's, it opens the doors quite a bit to, there's a lot of different ways you can contribute. It doesn't have to be mm-hmm. through in exactly a, uh, a career path. You know, I mean, yes, but the more and more it's like, a little bit less about that. And so in a way, um, this idea is like, what do you like? It's almost like, what do you like? And uh, how are you going to get better at that? And then once right. you get better at that, how, who needs that? You know? And, right. and so it's, what's kind of interesting now um, is that 
is like, it's like there's all these tools there. And, and what happens, what I means is like, I was uh, driving home from a family vacation and uh, I was listening to uh, a, either a podcast or an audiobook and it was talking about mm-hmm. this family in, in Utah. And I was like, oh, I perked up because I was like, oh, family in Utah. Yeah. The son's name was, uh, it was a father and son combination. The son's name was Lincoln. I was like, oh, that's my son's name is Lincoln. Oh. And so I had to think like, oh, the, the universe what is What are the chances? Were we on a podcast? Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> and, um, and so they, they apparently have this YouTube channel. And uh, this YouTube channel uh, is ha- them cutting things in half and seeing what's inside of things. And they have oh. like 6 million subscribers, which if you have about 6 million subscribers on YouTube, you're actually pretty good. You're, you're making a good chunk of change there. And so, yeah. and of course, like that's not like a, um, that's not a, one of those like career path, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. You know, you know, know not like, one day I'm thinking that I'm going to cut yeah, some stuff in half. <laughs> cut some half and put it on YouTube. But it is sort of like. It is sort of like, oh, wouldn't this be cool? And it came from that, right? And then, of course, there's yeah. all these skills that, yeah, you need to know how to produce video. Then, then that, that suddenly sure. skills, right? Yeah. That's one example. And then another one is I, was, I teach a course on design thinking. Mm. And I was talking to students about um, the future and how the future is going to be a lot more humanistic than it has been. Um, I was giving mm-hmm. the example of all these industries, like let's say even look at farming. It used to be sure. that it was very manually intensive and then now it's a bunch of machines mm-hmm. doing stuff. Right. But if, like something's not quite awesome with machine things because now you get, it's a bit, it's a bit corporate. And, um, and mm-hmm. so now you have this organic farming, which is like, it's not right. as, doesn't yield quote unquote as much, but the quality is quite good. People will actually pay mm-hmm. more for it. And so this right. is kind of like the same type of thing. It's like you almost want to have an organic, like an organic thing, yeah. Because you know, because if you add that human touch to it, it imbues it with value because people want that. Um, uh-huh. I was so, so a student came by and said after class and says, "Hey, yeah, I was listening to what you're saying, and uh, what do you think about this? My brother, he." he is essentially um, starting his own little business, helping people find like vacation deals online and da, da, da. And I said, oh, you mean like a travel agent? And um, like, <laughs> but he was like, didn't know what that was. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like 40, almost 48 years old. So I said, um, you know, back when I was young, a kid, we had travel agents and they helped us book tickets. But now we don't need any travel. We don't need anybody to help us book tickets right. uh, because like Expedia can do that much, much better. Sure. We don't need, but what happens is one thing that Expedia can't do is add that human touch. And so for example, if your brother decided to say, you know what, I'm going to focus myself on a region of the world, let's say Patagonia or something like that. And, uh-huh. I, want to know, and I know that area very well. And I can guide people to the right things for that niche. Yep. Something that a computer can't do. Um, nope. And, so when and I then say you can like, create all those guided tour, like the special yeah. things and like the experiences, right? Um, 
I only say this because I used a travel agent to help me book, like when I first took the kids to Disney, it was so overwhelming, the thought of like all the things you had to set up. And she just did it all for me. And it was like a beautiful, and I was like, wow, I would pay for this. <laughs> you know, I know we used to pay for it. And then it kind of got all the transact. I say all the transactions are on their way to be done by robots and computers. Yeah. All right. the human touch things are valuable. And so mm-hmm. that's one of those skills. It's sort of like, you think like cutting things in half and putting it on YouTube, what economic value is that? It's like not, it has no economic value, but <laughs> it is interesting to people. And so anything yep. that's kind of like, what do people need? Um, and if you yeah, can if it's think valuable that, then, right? Yeah. And so what's valuable, it's funny, but what's valuable isn't what's like, you know, I call it a commodity. Like don't produce commodities. Like, mm-hmm produce almost like artistic things you know yeah and the artistic thing is not just art but is it is it is a, a practice a discipline combined with mm-hmm. your perspective and if you can combine those two things what you create is pretty unique and you'll find that people like that human touch and so that's kind of the future that's yeah. it's kind of like what i encourage people to kind of that's so called diversify and just kind of find that niche you know Yeah. I love the way you're talking about this because that's kind of the way I've been thinking of it lately as well is just trying to figure out like what it is that if I, I don't mentor students, but I do for whatever reason, people like to come to me to help them find jobs a lot. And I'm always like, what do you want in your life? And they're like, I'm looking for a job. And I'm like, no, 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 no. (laughs) So it's like, let's, let's have like a visualization exercise. Let's like, Let's picture your life if you had all the things you wanted and let's work back from there. <laughs> I know it's, uh, it's like everything like once you're like, you know, what's a real, always like, I, I always go back to like dating when it comes to an analogy. Yeah. And then, so it's sort of like people's like, I just want to find a spouse. And I go like, great, but who's going to want to marry you? And, um, and so it's like, why do what, why would somebody want to marry you? And yeah. you're going to have to think less about I need a spouse and more about how do I make myself attractive so that people will, and so this is again, kind of the value producing mindset. It's like, Mm -hmm. how do I make myself better? And then once I make myself better, then I can get, you know, the spouse, the job and all of those things, you know? Right. Right. No, I, I, I get what you're saying. Well, I really appreciate all these thoughts. Is there, I know we'll be, we're wrapping up here, but is there anything else in particular that you'd like to share about some of the stuff that we've talked today, talked to, talked about today? Yeah, I was, um, I was listening to, uh, I was listening to a podcast, you know, I was like, I listen to more podcasts now and they're talking about generations, uh, mm-hmm. and talking about uh, millennials, um, and in a way, it's been kind of hard for millennials because, um, and I don't know, there's a feeling, there's a, there's a sense, and I totally get it. I'm a Gen Xer, um, and, uh, but in a way, it's like there's a lot of things that were sort of promised of millennials that it didn't kind of pan out. Yeah. Um, and, and I would just say um, the world needs millennials to create new things now. Like we would, like I would encourage people, like if you're younger, um, I would recommend, like, I would really recommend that you just think, like, go create something new, go create yeah. something and don't, um, don't wait for the system to kind of 
Joey, because the system itself is changing so much. Like we're never mm-hmm. going to go back to what things were like six months ago. And yeah. so who's going to create the future? And it is going to be sort of the younger people. And so then, and so it's terrifying from a point of view of, oh, how do I do that? And it's like, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> but if you kind of put yourself in the perspective of like, I'm going to figure out a way to provide value in some, in some way that I really like doing, you're going to find that it leads to sort of this top of this mountain it will lead you yeah. to create it leads you to create something um and it will be very of great value to society um so i just wanted to kind of give that message to people yeah i love that in the article um that i read the, you know your article i remember the one part where at the beginning you talked a lot about the problem solving like if you are problem solving if there is there because there's right that right now right there's so many new problems too right but if you continue to figure out like how to solve a problem like that's you creating something new and sometimes it doesn't seem so hard when you really see that there's an issue and you're like oh maybe i can think of a new way to tackle that yeah Yeah, exactly it's like there's always ways and just just if you're always learning and making yourself better and solving problems you're you're going to be fine i agree well thank you so much Tony for joining today. Um, And thank you all for listening to Let's Talk About Skills, Baby. Um, If you like this podcast, please subscribe, share with your friends. Would love to um, get a reading or review from you. Of course, if you'd like to follow me, um, Kelly Bailey, you can follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram at Kelly R. Bailey. Um, I'd love to hear any feedback or suggestions you might have and would really appreciate your support. Well, thank you all and hope you have a great great day.